I want to welcome all of you this morning, and again, to Walnut Creek. Uh, we appreciate being together with one body of Christ, whether here, there, or wherever uh, we might be, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we want to welcome you too also if you're here for the first time as a guest or maybe checking us out. Let's pray together. God, you are the greatest love in our lives as we understand Jesus being the cornerstone of our faith, of our thoughts, of our actions. We pray, Lord, as we look through Judges 16 and examine the life of Samson, your chosen one, that we could learn something and take something away that is life-changing, that draws us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question. I have a question that I want to ask that maybe you could think about a little bit. Do you like being lied to? Do you like it when people lie to you, like straight to your face? Okay, no one said yes, that's good. I hope not. I hope you don't like being lied to. I hope that's something that we try to avoid. But sometimes we let ourselves be deceived because of forgetting what's truly meaningful in our lives. You look in your program, you'll see the outline. It says, how are we deceived is our question. The uh, <coughs> title is Deceptions, Re Deceptions Reception. And we're looking at how are we deceived. The lies of this world tell us that fullness of life comes from our experiences and our possessions or things of this world. That's where fullness of life comes from. You'll see it in commercials, TV, movies, and so on. And these lives are so prevalent, we are so influenced by these things, that sometimes even as followers of Christ, we fall into that same trap of believing that lie. I read an article, today, uh, I read an article in Christianity Today that asked this question. Am I the kind of person who opts for the false gods of money, sex, celebrity, power, and so on, or do I uh, choose to obey God? Do I choose to obey God? Life as a Christian can be demanding. If you've been a follower of Christ for a while, you, you know how demanding it can be. It can be very demanding, especially in our war against the lies of Satan. But fighting this deception, taking the effort and making the effort to fight against these lies is a worthwhile cause in your spiritual life. But why do we so often fall into that temptation and allow ourselves to be deceived? And that is our question. How are we deceived? Continuing the life and times of Samson from Judges 16, coming to the end of Judges, fallen people, faithful God. We see that over and over again as the theme. And we, we need to remember that Jesus is our cornerstone in this whole process. We, we'll see that we, we know that God chose Samson before birth to be the deliverer of Israel, to begin the delivery of Israel from the Philistines. Last week, Pastor Eric, through his message in John 14, reminded us of God's great love to us, even though we are sinful people and fallen people. We know that sin is to be avoided. I think that's obvious as a follower of Christ, that sin should be avoided. But it's not always clear how or how we're being deceived. Sin's deception is often received more easily than we might care to think. In fact, deception often has a grand reception. If you look on your outline, that is the main thought. You want, want to write that down. That deception often has a grand reception. And what do I mean by that? We know that we may not know that we are being led astray because whatever we're doing might feel good. 
might feel right, or we might become so spiritually blinded or deaf that we can't hear God's direction. How are we deceived? What makes, things, what makes us believe things that aren't true? Why do we do that? First, we realize from Judges 16, the first point, we are deceived by misplaced passion. <clears throat> We're breaking the first point down into two points, two parts. We are deceived by misplaced passion from verses 1 through 22 and then from 23 to 27. We'll look at 1 through 22 first. But first, remember, <clears throat> think about this word passion. It's been a key word, or it is a key word, in our seeking direction for our school, career, whatever choices we make. We are told to find our passion, then go for it. I've heard that many times. Maybe you have too. Being passionate can be good, for sure, but it also can be misleading if we are not careful. When passion is the primary guiding source of your life, it can be especially harmful if misplaced passion leads you away from God, your Father. It can be harmful when our passion is off. Let's look at verses 1 through 14 to see where I got that from. Judges 16, 1 through 14. Now Samson went into Gaza and saw a harlot there and went, in <coughs> went into her. When it was told to the Gazites, Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron, which some commentaries say is 37 miles. So just picture Samson carrying these heavy gates, these two posts, and this bar, 37 miles. Shows you the strength. After this, it came about that he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines, which is about five of them, came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver, thousands and thousands of dollars. So Delilah said to, <coughs> Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and they bound him, and she bound him with them. Now she had men laying, <coughs> lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then, then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes which have not been used, then I would become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, for the men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with a web, fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, 
Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web, and she fastened it with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. So Samson, as you read in verse 1, was entering Gaza, but he did not necessarily go there to be with a prostitute. But in his misplaced passion, as we read from his past relationships, led him into another sinful encounter. His, pres his presence in Gaza did not go unnoticed. It was, the, it was the capital city of the Philistines. And for the Philistines, when Samson entered the city, it was a bold move and insulting to the Philistines as Samson showed off his strength, took the gates, lifted the posts and the bars, put them on his shoulders, and carried them 37 miles away to Hebron. This action had great symbolic meaning because the gates of the city, they represented the civic and national pride, the strength of that city. So when Samson took those gates, he was not only displaying the tremendous power that had God had placed upon him, but it also represented God's power over the Philistines as these gates were laid before the city of Israel, Hebron. as the main city of Israel. And after this, we, lead <coughs> we read in 4 that after this time in Gaza, he came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. After these things, he falls in love with a woman named Delilah. And maybe you've heard this saying, love is blind. You might have heard that. And I don't believe true love is blind, but in the beginning of a relationship, there is a tendency, if you haven't been there, you might be there soon, to ignore the faults of one another. You might just not see things in that person you're in love with because your love is blinding you. This might have been the case with Samson. At the start of his relationship with Delilah, infatuation caused Samson to overlook Delilah's de devious ways, even though she was probably a Philistine and a temple prostitute. Even as Delilah attempted to discover how to bind Samson three times more, three times in total, he either felt unconquerable because he misplaced his passion upon his own strength and forgot it was God, or his love and infatuation for Delilah blinded him. We read in 5 through 9 that the lords of the Philistines offered Delilah thousands and thousands of dollars in order to turn him over. Samson told Delilah to tie him up with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, the first one, and when the captives were in place to overtake him, Delilah calls out to warn Samson, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Samson breaks the cords. She does this two more times from verses 4 through 9, and the cords are broken as she calls out, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Now you would think, after three times, if you've read this over and over, you would think that Samson would get a clue, <laughs> that something's up. He's, she's telling him, I want to find out how to bind you up and afflict you. Three times, that's what's happening. It shows you how misplaced passion, when accepted and not seen, can lead to how we receive deception. That's why I titled this Deceptions Reception. That we can receive deception when we misplace our passion. Samson's a great example of that. I love this story because it shows you that we all have a chance. That Samson, the guy that was called before birth, is saved by God in the end. And so are we. Anytime we turn to him. 
Samson was not the only character in the story to receive deception so willingly. You took a, take a look at Delilah's misplaced passion to gain wealth, power, and prestige. She did all that she could to have Samson captured. Her motivation was not just money, but she also desired to be known as the woman who captured Samson. That's huge. So let's complete our first point that we are deceived by misplaced passion and read further verses 15 through 22 from Judges 16, 15 through 22. Then she, Delilah, said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him have him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Some of you were chuckling a little bit in verse 16 because I think you saw what I saw. Delilah literally nagged Samson to death. He urged him so much that he became annoyed to his soul to death. This is how much Delilah misplacing her passion would go to the, the point, the, the place she would go to to get her way, way done. She literally nagged him to death. But as one commentary observed, that though it was regrettable that Samson was captured, what verse 20 said was utterly tragic. Samson became so far removed from God that he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. His, his misplaced passion took him away from the fellowship of God. That is tragic. Here's the man that God had called with him through all these other events that we've seen. And at this point, he was so far removed from a relationship with God, he did not know that God had departed from him. So I ask another question. Have you ever misplaced passion? In the beginning of our marriage, Kathy and I have been married close to 40 years. In the very beginning, for a few years, a lot of years, my, my marriage was almost destroyed. It was broken. It was like a very difficult time. And without fully realizing it, my passion for the church I was serving, the people I was with, became a higher priority than my wife, which she should be my number one priority, which I hope I, I'm, I'm doing a good job now. <laughs> you always have to be aware, though. You always have to be aware of how passion can be misplaced. 
The needs of the ministry and of the church became my focus over my marriage. In reality, misplaced passion in that situation became more important than the Lord. From Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, it instructs husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and present them as holy and blameless before the Lord. From this passage, we, with regard to the marriage relationship, glorifying God and living to please him is not about how much I do for the church, for the people, or other things. It's about how I love my wife from this passage. Keeping in mind that loving Kathy is loving her as Christ sacrificially loved the church is my call as a husband. Now on a side note, for any of you Christ-following males, if you're a follower of Christ and you're a man or a boy or a young man, if you're a male, <laughs> you might be considering marriage, you might be in marriage, it's never too early or it's never too late to follow Jesus' example of how we are to love our sisters in Christ and our wives in Christ. It's never too early or never too late. Learning to love our female sisters in Christ sacrificially so that the Lord God, so that we could pre present them before the Lord our God as holy and blameless is something that we should be thinking about as men of Christ. I know there's a fine balance between being passionate for Christ and being passionate for your family, passionate for your career, or anything else. Those things are good. But it would be wise to stay alert and to be aware of the temptation to be passionate about other things rather than Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, be aware of that. Be diligent and vigilant to not let your passion for God be misplaced by anything else. When God is your primary passion, everything falls into place as he directs you and leads you. Now, if we are not aware or ignore our misplaced passion, we could fall prey to our next point in answering the question, how are we deceived? We are deceived by misplaced praise from verses 23 to 27. At the start of this message, I said deception often has the grand reception. That's the main point. When Christ's followers lose focus upon Jesus, the single most important person or aspect of our life in our life as a Christian, if we lose that focus to Jesus or upon Jesus, our cornerstone, then we are susceptible to deception. We are susceptible to deception. Anything or anyone that becomes greater than God becomes greater than Jesus becomes the object of our worship and misplaces our praise. The Bible tells us that God is love, and we might forget that he even loves the enemies of Israel in this portion, the Philistines. If any of the Philistines had turned to their, had rejected their God, Dagon, repented, and began to worship the one true God, God would receive them. As his child, if a Philistine, any Philistine said, God, I'm sorry, you are the God. I want to worship you. God would love them and receive them as his children. But because they misplaced their praise, 
and continually elevated their gods, as we read, above the Lord, there was no other recourse in his justice but to allow the consequences of sin to take place, which is eternal death. Read with me verses 23 to 27. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the, Lord, <clears throat> when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, then I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Samson was being degraded. And when it says that he was a grinder, his eyes are gouged out, he's a slave. And, and, and back then, grinding was grinding wheat into flour. It was, the, it was for the women. And so here you have this, this Israel judge who's an authority now grinding seed to flour and being blinded. They thought, they thought that was amusing. They thought, look at this guy now, who was so overpowering, is now a slave, doing slave work. But the Philistines, instead of recognizing Samson's superhuman strength from God, remember he lifted up those gates, those bars and those posts, and carried them 37 miles? You wouldn't think that would be something that they would think about? Instead of recognizing God's strength in Samson, they said, thank you, Dagon. Thank you for bringing Samson to our capture and imprisoning him. Their misplaced praise ends with physical death, as we will see. But more devastating is the eternal spiritual death they will endure. The Philistines, because of their misplaced praise, will endure not only physical death, but spiritual death as well. You know, you know who I am. If you've been here for a while, you know I like go for walks. You know I, I like nature. And from a spiritual assessment that I took in our youth service the last month of the last, last month, lesson of the month, it made sense when I took this assessment that the number one way I see God is in his creation. Sitting by the water, I experience the waves, the fresh air, the sun, the clouds, the, all these things that are part of nature. It just helps me to see God in a way that I can't express but sense. If I didn't know God as the creator of all this outdoor splendor, if I didn't know this, it would be effortless to misplace my praise to the wonder of nature's charm. I would be overcome by this nature. I would be overcome by the beauty. And I could praise Mother Nature instead. You know, I'm glad that there is a greater effort nowadays to take care of our resources. Here at Sandlo, if, if you've noticed, we have uh, lots of garbage cans now for recycling, compost, and landfill. And I'm glad we're doing that. And even though it might be inconvenient to, to think about what you're throwing out, it's a good thing. For sure, being mindful of our resources by recycling 
and using sustainable products is a worthwhile cause, a good one. And it's wonderful to practice conservation, but we need to be careful that focusing upon the earth does not take the place of focusing upon God. In the book of Romans, the first chapter, there's a clear warning about not seeing God in creation. Romans 1.20 says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We can see God in nature. And we need to be careful, though, about how worshiping creatures rather than God, the creator, can lead to lifestyles that do not please him. Romans 1.25 says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, leads us down a path that is not pleasing to God. So we see God in nature. We understand his development and creation of the creatures, animals. But we need, not to, we, we need to be careful not to misplace our praise in these things that are so beautiful and miss God. Followers of Christ should be responsible citizens, but more importantly, we need to carry and feel the burden to let others know of the opportunity to praise God because of Jesus. That has to be on our hearts. You talk about living a full and abundant life. When that burden and of that understanding is on you, it's not a heavy burden. It's a, it's a way for us to understand that life is not about us. It's about God. And when we begin to grasp that, then that fullness of life becomes meaningful to us. And we know that praising God is our purpose through Jesus Christ. We must be mindful to not misplace our praise for God by praising other things, ideas, or people. We just have to be careful. In closing, looking at verses 28 through 31, you'll see there on your outline that we need to remember that we are deceived by sin, but delivered by God. Though Samson failed in many ways, as we look at 28 through 31, God redeemed and delivered Samson in the end. Read with me verses 28 through 31. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, and brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol, and the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he judged Israel for 20 years. I found this encouraging when I discovered in my study that Samson is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which many, many believers call the Faith Hall of Fame. You look up Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, you'll see Samson as included as someone who accomplished great things with God because of his faith. How that happened? Because of Samson's brokenness in verse 28, when he calls out to the Lord, remember me, please strengthen me, <clears throat> because I need to be avenged. God, you can do it. 
He was broken. He came to his knees. He called out to God in sincerity. At the lowest point of his life, Samson cries out to God, and, and though Samson disappointed God time and time again, God saved Samson's reputation, which is huge. If you look at Proverbs 20, 22, 1, you'll, you'll know that a good name is rather to be had than great wealth. The reputation is important. And Samson now goes down in the history of eternity as someone who had faith. Even though he messed up so much, God recognizes his faith, includes him in the book. And he killed more people upon his death than those when he was alive. God saved Samson because of faith, and God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You and I, and those who do not know him yet, have the same opportunity, we have the same chance to have our failures forgiven. We, as followers of Christ, already know we are forgiven. Help us to share that with other people should be our prayer to God our Father, that the saving power of God in Christ Jesus is ours, just as for Samson. And may the story of Samson strengthen your faith and my faith to accept God's redeeming love despite failures. We are deceived by sin, but delivered by God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this message through the story of Samson. Though it's in the Old Testament, and sometimes these stories like seem unbelievable, we know that the Old Testament teaches us about grace. When we see what takes place in the lives of Samson and other people and heroes of the Bible, we see how easy it is to be distracted, misplace our passion, misplace our praise. Yet, when we come before you in humbleness, in understanding, knowing that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross in such a horrible way, yet to be raised again three days later to overcome the sin that so easily deceives us, we can take hope in knowing that you deliver us, you redeem us because of that action. Father, as we offer to you our tithes, our offerings, we offer to you gifts, May each one of us give out of a heart of love for you. May we be motivated by this great truth that in our deception, that as sin deceives us, we can always look to you for deliverance, again because of Jesus, the chief cornerstone of our faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.